0: Today we're going to start a new sermon series looking at the book of Jonah. And we're going to start right at the start at Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased." Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I want to talk today about how to find your voice, how to find your voice. Your voice is not just an arbitrary tone and volume. It's not just the effect of uh, kind of the passing of air. And the vibration of your vocal cords. Your voice is a powerful, purposeful, unique, dynamic gift from God. Your voice is a way of speaking out your story and your passions. No one else has a voice quite like yours. Your voice is like your vocal DNA. It's unique to you. And your voice is full of potential. And obviously we need wisdom about when to use our voice and how to use our voice. But God has given you a voice so that you might speak. And sometimes we find that a bit hard. Sometimes, whether in the workplace or in our family or in our friendships or in a relationship, we can feel like we have to hold back our voice. We question whether we should speak up at all, whether our voice has value. Maybe we feel what we have to say might not be significant, or we worry about saying the wrong thing, or we fear the cost of speaking out. So we can hold back, we can stay silent, and our voice starts to shrink. What's fascinating about this passage is that Jonah is a prophet. He has, He's someone who's been called Someone who's been identified, someone whose purpose and responsibility is to speak out. Jonah has been called to speak out God's word to a city that desperately needs to hear it. And yet for the first eight verses of the book of Jonah, Jonah doesn't speak at all. He's silent. We don't hear him say one word. And actually, he removes himself from the very place where his voice could make a difference and have an impact. So what blocks him? Why does he do that? And what can we learn from it about how we might use our God-given voice in the place and for the purpose for which he has given us? Well, the first thing we see here is how important it is to hear God's call. Now, the passage begins with God speaking to Jonah. Go up to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And God speaks to send Jonah, Jonah, a particular person, to Nineveh, which is a huge city in in modern-day Iraq, over 120,000 people, huge by ancient standards. And it seems God is concerned about the city. He's heard about the city. He knows about what's going, going on in the city. But he wants, almost the city longs for the city to be saved. He wants to warn it, to give it a chance to turn from evil and to turn to good. He longs to save it. And so there's a purpose in God speaking to Jonah. And God wants you to use your voice wherever he's placed you in this city. God cares about this city. He longs to bring blessing to this city through you, through your voice, for you to use your position, use your influence, use your seat at the table, use the significance you carry to speak. But as with Jonah, it's one thing to kind of hear God's call and God speaks supremely by his word but he hasn't stopped spoken and he's speaking even now to people here and speaking about this city that he loves it's one thing to hear God's voice and it's another thing to respond to God's call because sometimes when the moment comes there are challenges you can feel risky can feel dangerous you can feel a bit exposed feel like there's a cost to it i used to we used to um live in East London and I used to run this kind of football outreach project for all these kind of young guys off the estate in um, Tower Hamlets and uh, we would uh, we'd run this, this kind of football training through the year and then one week in some we'd have a, a big tournament and like loads of people come from all the estates and or like 60, 70 kind of young guys and then on the main night of the tournament we'd do this thing where we'd gather them all in, they'd all be surrounding us and we'd say now we're going to tell you why it is we do what we do. And it was a little bit nerve-wracking. Like you kind of look out, you'd be like, right, here goes, <laughs> don't know how this is going to go down. And you'd have this moment like, I'm actually going to say why I'm motivated to do what I do. And to make it a bit interesting, because, you know, they're all kind of like 16, 17, wanted to keep their attention. We would do matchstick testimonies. So what we'd do is um, we'd light a matchstick and you'd just kind of have it burning away. And you'd talk about what it is you're interested in. You'd talk about your faith. You'd talk about everything else. And the match, all the way, the flame would be getting closer to your hand, which is great because I think he might actually burn his hand. This would be so exciting, you know. And, um, and you'd be talking about all these things. And you'd be saying, you know, this is why I believe. This is why Jesus has changed my life. All this kind of stuff. And that would be like, it's like the flame is going. And you're kind of thinking, am I going to get my fingers burnt or can I finish my testimony in time? <laughs> and eventually you kind of write out. But it can feel a little bit like that. With our voices, like it's, it's like an opportunity comes. We know, we know it, God wants us to use our voice. We know, we know we're in this job, this relationship this, for a reason. And it's almost like you've been handed a match. And you're like, oh, is this the moment? And then you've kind of been handed the match and you think, well, actually, I'm... It's great and all, but um, I'm not sure my 20s are the right decade for me to use my voice in the workplace. Like, I feel like 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s, maybe on my retirement day, I'll say a lot about how I was motivated to do what I was doing, people will listen. So thanks so much, it's great, really like it, I'm just going to put that there and keep that for safekeeping and when the moment really comes. Or sometimes it can feel a bit like, you know, you're there in the meeting and you feel like a moment's about to come, you think like, I, I should speak up, I feel passionate about this area. And you're just about to strike the match, oh, but then someone else speaks, you think, oh, I'll let them say what they say. Oh, someone else has spoken again, okay, oh, no, 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 oh, no. and you, you keep missing the moment to speak, and then you go home and think of all the things you would have said if you'd had a moment to speak, you think, have I missed my opportunity, sometimes you kind of, you think, yes, this is the moment, and it's going, and you're going, and you're like, right, I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak, and then you kind of, the fear grips you, it's like someone's punched you in the stomach, and suddenly you're like, so afraid of what people might say when they react, or whether they might be cost to what you said, that you kind of, your wind goes out, and you go, And you get very quiet. Because fear can kind of grip you when you start to speak. And Jonah felt the fear. And it wasn't irrational. He'd been sent on his own to a city of 120,000 people to pitch up and to say to them, you, you've all got to change. Or there's trouble coming. Like, what, what are the odds of that going well for him? 120,000 people. So all you, got, all you people... You've got it wrong. God sent me to tell you. Like, it's not irrational. How, what, how's it going to go? There is a risk. There is danger. He might have thought, like, this is just a silly thing. Send lots of people. Send an army. Send someone else. But God sent him. But it's one thing to hear God's call. It's another thing to find your voice and to speak. And to do that, you don't just have to hear God's voice. You have to face your fears. Now, Jonah is sent to Nineveh, but he flees to Tarshish. And it's almost like it's in the opposite direction. He runs from his calling, and he runs from God. Actually, in the Hebrew, it kind of says he flees from God's presence. Now, it's one thing to run from a difficult situation. It's another thing to run from God. One of my friends was an atheist, and we, we met up in, in, in central London for lunch one day. And he'd always he kind of was was polite about my faith he kind of would show, ask me a question about it every now and again but he made it very clear that it's just not for me not that interested you do your thing with the church and all that that's great but it's, it's not really anything to do with me and I'm not that interested in it anyway we're having this lunch and we just started talking, talking, talking and then over the course of lunch the conversation just kind of turned to faith which hadn't really done much in the past and he, he was kind of asking questions about it and, and, and at one point he was asking about why I believe what I believed Dick, you know. And, um, and, uh, and, I, and I said, and we were talking about that. And then I suddenly felt, I said, actually, I think I've got like a word for you. I've got like a picture for you. might sound a bit strange, but m- maybe this resonates with you. And I said I had this image of him kind of standing on the edge of a cliff with like a hand glider. Like wanting to leap off the cliff, but also fearing leaping off the cliff. It's like he was turning over his shoulder and looking back. He could see all the stuff he might miss they'd left behind. And I was like, you're focusing very much on that stuff, so you're not going to take a step of faith. But actually, you've got no idea what the kind of joy and the purpose and the significance is that lies ahead of you if you take a step. And he looked at me and he said, I'd like to become a Christian. And I was like, what? And he said, he said I- I'd like to become a Christian. And I was like, now? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, I, I was like, well, wh- where? And he's like, can we do it here? I was like, I don't know. I- uh, like, we're in a, r- a restaurant. He's like, well, where do you normally do it? I was like, I don't know. So, I was like, so he's like, well, I said, okay, yeah, we can do it. Here, or we can do it outside. He's like, is outside better? I was like, I don't know. Um, so we, so I was like, so we went outside. We like on the side of the street outside this restaurant, and I was like, maybe this is a good spot. There are like people walking past. And I was like, okay, let's do it here. He's like, okay, what do we do? And um, and so we prayed. He became a Christian. It was amazing. And then he, but he was living in a different city, and the first few weeks after you placed your trust in Jesus can be quite hard. And I wanted to support him, but I was like miles and miles and miles away from him. So I was like, you know, phone him up, encouraging, try to get him plugged into a local church, um, send him some books to read, a Bible, and all this kind of stuff. And then anyway, after about two months, he was finding it quite hard. And one Saturday night, um, he he wrote me an email. And he said, look, you know, thanks for all you've done, um, but I feel like it's not the right moment for me And I'm going to walk away from God. Now, I was away staying with friends in another part of the country that weekend. And I didn't have email on my phone. Oh, those days. Remember those days. Um, I didn't have email on my phone. So I was like, okay. I didn't see the email. I didn't know he'd sent it. And I was coming back on the Sunday, coming back. And he, he, he had been staying with family in another part of the country. And he was driving back to his city. Now, I was driving down the M1. I thought I should stop at Milton Keynes because it was the right place to stop. And I got off at Milton Keynes, and I couldn't find a place to stop. So I ended up going to this, like, massive shopping center in Milton Keynes. And then I really needed the loo. So I was, like, trying to find a loo in this massive shopping center in Milton Keynes. And eventually I found it, like, right at the back. Uh, and the relief. No, but, but, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. But got went to the loo and then came out. And I, was like, oh. and I was just about to get, came, literally walked out of the loo and bumped straight into my friend. And he had stopped at Milton Keynes as well on his way back from this place to this other place, and I had stopped way back from Milton Keynes to this place. at exactly the same time. We we're right outside these toilets, and I looked at him and I was like, "I can't believe you're here!" And I said, "What? what you, I live in Milton Keynes. You don't live in Milton Keynes. Why we both in Milton Keynes? Like, what, what? What are the odds? Exactly the same place at exactly the same time." That must be like five million to one. And his face was like. <laughs> and I was like, no, but it's, it's, it's an extraordinary thing. I mean, it's almost like there must be like a purpose or a significance to us meeting up today. I don't know what it could possibly be. But it's like, I mean, that is just, that's just crazy levels of coincidence. Like, it's almost like God wanted us to meet for some reason. I don't know what it is. He was like. <laughs> He's, all the color drained from his face. He was getting sweating. I was like, are you okay? He was like, "I was like, are you sure you're okay? He was like, yeah. he was like you look like you've seen a ghost. He was like. <laughs> anyway, so we, I gave him a hug. I said, great to see you. Catch up soon. Drove home, got home, checked my email. There were two emails. One was the email he'd sent the night before. But there was another email. And it's, it's personal. But in that email, there was a sentence. He said, I don't think until my dying day I will ever be able to explain what happened today. I can explain it. It's really hard to run from God. It's really, really hard to run from God. I mean, the psalmist says, Where shall I go from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. If I get up early, you're there. If I go to the far side of the sea, you're there. If I go to Milton Keynes, you're there. He's there. You can't run from God. Running from God is really, really hard. Sooner or later, you realize wherever you go, he's already there. Running from God is like trying to run from air. It's everywhere you go, and there's only so long you can hold your breath. Sooner or later, you're going to have to breathe in because the very thing you're running from is the very thing you most need. And the thing is, God has ways of getting our attention. I mean, in, 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 in this passage, God sends a great wind to cause a great storm. And we all face storms in life. Maybe you're facing a storm today. But the question in life is not if I'm going to face storms Sometimes we think, oh, you know, maybe I should choose an easier path, or maybe if I if I I I, I didn't have, maybe I've you've just placed your faith in God and it's got a bit tricky, and you're like, oh, maybe maybe I should just back off because it's a bit hard. But the the reality is, you are gonna face storms in life. The question you've got is, who do you want to face those storms with? Do you want to face them with God or on your own? God has ways of getting your attention. And sometimes the storms we face just feel completely and utterly random. But sometimes they're God's ways of getting our attention. They're like God's wake up call. The storms you face can be God's way of getting you to seek His face. I'm here. I'm waiting. I'm still calling you. I've still got a great purpose for your life. And there's like a choice. When the storm comes, how do we respond? Because the storms in your life, they will either harden you or they will humble you. And everyone else in the boat is terrified. But deep down, Jonah knows. He knows what's going on. So he goes below deck. He finds a cabin. He goes to sleep in this little ship in the middle of the raging sea. And isn't it fascinating? Because the harder you try and hide from God, the smaller your world will become. You know, if you let fear have the final say over your life, Your voice, your world, is going to get smaller and smaller. Jonah is called to speak to 120,000 people. Be part of God's plan to redeem and save an entire city. And here he is, hiding, sleeping, below deck on a little ship. He's made for so much more. You're made for so much more. And fear is a lie. Don't let it speak over you. Don't let it steal your voice. But the thing is, it's not too late. I really felt that was a particular word for people here today. It's not too late. You might have run from God, but it's not too late. You might be hiding, but it's not too late. You might have buried yourself in work or a relationship or something else. not necessarily like a bad thing, but you're using it to squeeze God out of your life. It's not too late. There's still time. There's still time For you. Wake up. That's what the sailor said to Jonah. Wake up. Face your fears. And then find your courage. You know, the crew cast lots to see who's responsible, and the lot falls on Jonah. You know, who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? And Jonah speaks for the first time, and it's fascinating. He says, I am a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He tells them he's running. And then they're really terrified. They're like, what should we do? And Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah goes from silence to speaking out boldly. He goes from running away to standing firm. He goes from fear to courage. Moments before, he's happy for them to lose their life trying to save him. And now, he's happy to lose his life in order to save theirs. Why? Why? Which well, it's really interesting. The reason we're told in chapter 4 of Jonah, that Jonah actually didn't want to go to Nineveh. Yeah, it's partly probably afraid. But the real reason was because, not because he thought he might fail, but because he thought he might succeed. He knew God was merciful and compassionate. And what if by a miracle, the whole city turned and repented and listened to God and turned to God? God would have them. And deep down, Jonah didn't have that much of an interest in them being forgiven. He didn't want that. He wanted them to be punished. You know They're not great people. They're enemies of his people. Why take the risk of suffering for people he didn't really love? And it can be a little bit like that for us. Josh is going to help me demonstrate this. So there are different people in your life. Obviously, obviously, we're in church. So obviously, you love everyone in your life. <laughs> you Everyone you really, really love in your life. But even within that, there can be levels, okay? So there are some people in your life that you really do love. You know, you love them. They're your people. They get your jokes. They laugh even when things ain't that funny. And, um, and you kind of just really get on with them. You love them. They're in your inner circle. And if there are some of them, you want to bless them with your words. If there are some of them who don't know Jesus yet, you want them. You long for them to know Jesus. You're like, you're like on your knees. You're praying through the night for them. You really want them to encounter God because you love them. Then there are other people in your life. They're like, you like, you like like them. Like, it's, it's, you like them. They're nice people. They're good people. There's nothing wrong with them. You really like being around them. You don't love them, but you like them, you know. And you kind of, you know, you hope, you hope that they do come to a relationship with God and you hope their lives are blessed, but you don't have a lot of headspace for it, you know. It's like maybe pray every now and again, but there's only so much headspace time you've got. You can't devote a huge amount of energy to that, you know. Then there's people in your life, if you're honest, they're like 50 50 people. <laughs> like, they're okay, but you, know, you can deal with them on a good day, but not on a bad day. And you can't have too many of them around you. you know, they start to really annoy you. you know, they're kind of like, every now and again, they make you a cup of tea, win, but then they send you a passive-aggressive email. You're like, nah. And if you're honest, when you pray for them, you're a little bit like, God, this is over to you. Like, You, know, I, <laughs> you work this one out. I don't know what the answer is. Da-la-la-la-la. And then there's people in your life who actually, if you're honest, you really dislike them. You find it really hard to pray for them. You know you're supposed to pray for your enemies, but you really don't like these people. You don't like particularly being around them. You clash with them. They annoy you. They irritate you. And, you know, if you think about, you know, praying for them to come to know God, you're a little bit like, wow, you know, heaven might be better without them. (laughs) You would never say that. But deep down, you're like, it's supposed to be fun for me. Now, what's hard for Jonah is God has sent him to people he doesn't really like. And he's like, why do I have to incur all this cost, pay all this price, take all these risks for people I don't really like? I don't really want them to be forgiven by God. Thanks so much, Josh. Thank you to Josh. Jonah didn't really want them to be saved. And then two things happen. Two things happen. He gets penitent and he gets proximate. He gets penitent. Jonah realizes by running away just how much he needs God's grace. He doesn't know at the start of this book. Because when you really know how much you need to be forgiven love kind of bubbles up within you when you know that you just how much you need god's grace just just how much you need his love you know god's grace god's riches at christ's expense you start to see how could i ever deny that for other people yeah we might clash but i need god's love and forgiveness just as much as they do i'm no better than them we're much more alike than i realized And I actually actually start, I feel my passion to see them connect with God, start to grow. And I want to use my voice to bless them and even to speak to them about God's love. But then he also gets proximate. He gets close to people. The people on his boat, most likely pagans. They're not an abstract 120,000 people in a city. He's close to them. He's living alongside them. He's seen their faces, faces which bear the image of God just as much as his does. And then it's harder just to dismiss them. It's harder just to write them off. He's up close. You know, when you're proximate, your passion grows. And his passion for them starts to grow. He doesn't want them to die. You know, when you're proximate, when you're close to God and close to people, your passion grows. And your passion is what you're prepared to suffer for. It's what the word means. And when you find your courage, you. If you want to find your courage, see what it is you're prepared to suffer for. Jesus was prepared to suffer for you. His passion is you. He came for you. He got proximate. He came close. He lived and he died for you. He took my sin on his shoulders. He bore it on the cross that I might know forgiveness. He said, I'm willing to give my life to save yours. It wasn't just in a fist for three days and three nights. He died. And then rose again. So we might know forgiveness and freedom and eternal life. And when you see that, when you glimpse that, something starts to shift in your spirit. You remember, you kind of remember that you have a passion. That there are things you're prepared to pay a price for. That there are costs you're willing to bear. You remember your courage. You realize, actually, I get to be part of God's mission in this city. 8.1 million people who don't go to church. People who God cares about, God loves, God is speaking about. There's nowhere that you are at the moment that you're there by accident. There's a purpose to your presence wherever you are. And he can use you and he can use your voice to bless and to speak truth and to bring healing and to transform people's lives. And yeah, you might have messed up. You might have missed an opportunity. You might have been there with your matchstick thinking, oh, you know, is this the moment? Oh, no, I've missed it. I've put it in my pocket. The thing is, you don't just have one chance. It's like God gives you chance after chance after chance after chance. There's so many opportunities to speak out what he's put inside you, the truth you know. And just think what can happen as we start to find our voices, as we speak up with wisdom and grace and love as our passion starts to grow. Just think of the difference it could make in our church, in our city, and in this nation. In Jesus' name, amen.